We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Our episode tonight is brought to you by Untuck It Shirts. With Untuck me, it. Untuck It. With me, that's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com, of the USA Today Sports Media Group, and 95.7 The Game. Kyle, is everything okay on the home front with your cats? It is now. I kicked out. So I have two cats, uh, Catrick Willis. That's the fat one. And then there's a smaller one. That's Stefan Purry. And um, Stefan takes his sweet time eating because he knows that, you know, he's got nowhere to be. He doesn't have a job. Like he just, he can, he eats and takes naps. So he's taking his sweet ass time eating and the fat one plows through his food as fast as he can, and then tries to push the little one out of the way to eat his food. And the little one is just like, all right, whatever, I'm going to go take a nap then. And that's messed up, and that's how he loses weight and he gets unhealthy. So uh, I have removed uh, the tubby butt from the room. That's my little <laughs> pet name for him. Uh, the tub is out of the room, and the little one is here enjoying the heck out of his, I think it was like a salmon and carrot mix with uh, – a little splash of dry food in there. Well, that that sounds delightful. Well, I'm glad we we got all of that squared away before yeah. uh, before we previewed the 49ers. <laughs> you guys, and, you guys and are going to hear me yell at my cats on the pod. <laughs> before we preview the NFC Championship game Sunday, 
uh, between the 49ers and the Green Bay Packers, it's it's only days away. And it's kind of weird to to take a step back and think about the fact that the 49ers are suddenly in the NFC title game. Because, it's so weird. Because they were 4-12 and last year. And we started this podcast talking about the draft and whether or not it should be uh, Quinn and Williams or Nick Bosa. And now it's like, looking back, it's just crazy to think about that this team actually is got this good in such a short amount of time to where they're seven point favorites over the Packers on Sunday to get to the Super Bowl. Um, but we're not really here to wax poetic about how good the 49ers have gotten in a short amount of time. We're here to preview the game and talk a little bit about the week. It's been a crazy week. You and I both have been churning out tons of content on the internet, uh, and in print publications in, in my case. Um, it's been a it's been a very crowded week at Levi's Stadium at, at the 49ers facility because there's probably about five times as many media members uh, covering the team as, as there normally would be. And there are players that do press conferences during the week that never do during a typical week. You'll get Kyle Shanahan uh, on a Wednesday, Jimmy Garoppolo at the podium on Wednesday, and then uh, Richard Sherman will come in and do the podium on Thursdays, typically after Robert Sala this week. There's like four or five players going to the podium every day. Uh, Kyle Shanahan talks every day. Jimmy Garoppolo did two media availabilities this week. Uh, he did one at his locker today, which was one of the more awkward experiences that I've seen in the 49ers locker room. And it was funny. Um, but yeah, it's just crazy. Like the the George Hallis NFC title trophy has been hanging out in the auditorium with the helmets and the, you know, the 49ers and Packers helmets. Oh, really? Uh, Nobody's end- posted a picture of that on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weird. Um, had, nobody's seen that. And, uh, and the NFL has actually, they're, they're, the NFL's PR department has sort of taken things over this week. Obviously, the 49ers are still controlling things during the week, but the NFL's PR department is controlling the game. So it's, it's just a, a very different experience. And, uh, and, it's my first time. Actually, no, it's not my first time. I uh, My first year on the beat was uh, when the Niners went to the NFC title game the last time in 2013. So, But it, it feels a lot different this time because uh, uh, because Levi Stadium actually exists and there's a media workroom now. Back then, there was a trailer that was in the parking lot next to the facility, um, which was... Uh, I, I I can't explain the difference right now between the media workroom in inside Levi's Stadium versus the trailer that used to be out there before Levi's was built um, when the 49ers played at Candlestick. But that's that's neither here nor there. We got headlines to uh, to run through before we talk about storylines for the game and matchups to look for later in the pod. So, uh, Kyle, we should start with George Kittle returned to practice on Thursday after missing Wednesday's session with a sore ankle. It really came as a surprise because what Kyle Shanahan does typically at the beginning of his press conference each day is go through the day's injury report. Who's going to practice? Who's going to be limited? Who's not going to practice, et cetera. Um, George Kittle was not mentioned during Kyle Shanahan's little injury rundown before Wednesday's practice. And then we get out there and all of a sudden Kittle is not there. So um, that I don't remember that really happening many times, if at all, this season where there's an injury situation popped up that Shanahan didn't address beforehand. So it was a little bit surprising and and, uh, talking to some people at the time, it didn't sound like Kittle's 
injury was ever serious. And Kittle is always somebody who plays through whatever he can play through. And, uh, and he returned to practice. He was a full participant on Thursday. So crisis averted. What was your, uh, what, what, what was your George Kittle is missing practice experience like on Wednesday, Kyle? It was again, because I listened to Shanahan's press conference live and he didn't say anything about Kittle. And so I just figured it was because that wasn't even something that was in my head. You know, we're talking Quan Alexander's peck. How's he doing from that? D Ford's hamstring. How's he recovering after playing a game? And then all of a sudden it comes out that Kittle didn't practice. And I know he had dealt with knee and ankle injuries after the week nine game against the Cardinals that forced him out of a couple games. And the fact that Shanahan didn't say anything and the fact that it just kind of popped up out of nowhere was initially pretty worrisome. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the reporting on the scene from from all you guys that, that are down there at the facility, it seemed pretty quickly like, well, he was walking around the locker room. He looked fine. He sounded fine. Uh, made it seem a little less dire because I remember last time when he was dealing with actual significant injuries, uh, he was he was not anywhere to be found. So right. that yeah, that, I actually, that made it a little less uh, dire. I think I was talking to Kittle in the locker room before practice, just sort of in passing, and he was putting his cleats on and he had his eighty-five practice jersey on, and like we were talking, and it didn't even come up the fact that he wasn't going to practice. So. <laughs> Shanahan said afterwards that he was surprised by it. Um, Kittle got his ankle rolled up on in the second half of that Vikings game, and it's just a precaution. So anyway, uh, the other headline in terms of injury news for this week, D. Ford returned to practice Thursday after not practicing Wednesday. Kyle Shanahan said there were no setbacks coming out of uh, the Vikings game for Ford. It was it was his first action since early December when he aggravated his hamstring injury against the Saints. Uh, he obviously provided a pretty significant boost to the pass rush in uh, Saturday's game. I asked Robert Sala today actually about what exactly it is about Ford's game that allows the pass rush to look so much different with him in there versus when he's not. And the 49ers were averaging four sacks a game during the first 11 weeks when Ford was playing predominantly. And then they had just five sacks over the last five games combined when Ford was missing most of that time with the hamstring injury. And basically what he said is like when you have somebody as fast as Ford off the edge, it forces the tackles to really play the outside and and sort of exaggerate what they do in terms of getting to the outside. So Ford doesn't just beat them outside the edge. And obviously when you do that, you're going to create space in the B gap, um, which allows DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead to be to have more space to work with and be able to do more against the guards because the guards are working in more space. And that's why you see the pass rush look so much better when Ford's in there because he's essentially creating space by other for other people because of his speed off the edge. And the 49ers haven't been able to replicate that speed with Ford not in there. So it really is a game-changing situation when you have Ford in the lineup uh, and I think that's that's a major reason why the 49ers were able to get six sacks against Kirk Cousins in that game. And it's, you know, obviously that that's going to be a big deal uh, for Saturday or Sunday's game against the Packers. Um, also, a couple more uh, award related headlines. John Lynch was named the Pro Football Writers of America, uh, named him the executive of the year. 
Nick Bosa by the PFWA was named the rookie of the year and the defensive rookie of the year. And Dre Greenlaw was actually a first team first teamer on the uh, all on PFWA's all rookie team. And these are not the NFL's official awards. Um, those awards will be announced at uh, those are the Associated Press Awards, I believe. And they are announced the night before the Super Bowl at the NFL Honors event, uh, which is going to be in a Miami. And so we will know who wins MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, all that stuff. And Nick Bosa is going to be in the running for Defensive Rookie of the Year for sure. He's probably not going to win Defensive Player of the Year. But um, what was your reaction to uh, to John Lynch getting Executive of the Year? Are you there? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I had to put myself on mute for a second. My cat needed out after putting the fat one out. I had to let the little one out. And he was meowing really loud, so I muted it so I could go let him out. Anyways, okay. uh, leave that in, editor. Uh, <laughs> so, so I had to write about John Lynch winning the Executive of the Year Award, and it dawned on me as I was writing a couple of things. One, it's like John Lynch is the GM, and he gets the credit, but the Niners have a like really good front office as a whole, and I think that that's an important note here. It's, it's not just John Lynch that's sitting there and pulling all the strings and, and all that jazz. Uh, it's, it's Kyle Shanahan has a lot of say Adam Peters has a lot of say there's just, uh, I think, I think it's a testament to how good of a job the Niners have done assembling a front office after that part of their team for a while was really kind of a mess. And the fact that they've gotten to this point, I think says a lot about uh, what what that front office has done from uh, just going back to 2017. They draft George Kittle in the fifth round. They draft Fred Warner last year uh, in the third round. They get Dre Greenlaw in the fifth round this year. They trade for D Ford. They they trade for Emmanuel Sanders. On top of a million moves in between that I'm that I'm leaving out, they've just done a really really nice job grabbing this team from the abyss of NFL mediocrity. And not just dragging them up out of that, but kind of immediately lifting them to uh, within one win of, of going to the Super Bowl. And and while the players deserve a ton of credit for that and the coaching staff deserves a ton of credit for that, uh, the the front office uh, has to has to be included in that. And so I think it's it's good that that Lynch in the front office got that recognition from the PFWA. Uh, like you said, not the official AP awards, but. Uh, the the Niners front office needed to get something for for the job they've done really since 2017. I look at this more of a as like a lifetime achievement type of award than than just this year. Yeah, I, I don't think the the award put it this way. The award reflects all of the moves that have proved to be super fruitful, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, in a vacuum, like it looks like it's John Lynch making all those moves, and this isn't. In, in any way trying to diminish diminish what Lynch does and, and what his role is. But I will say, like, I don't think John Lynch is the mastermind architect of what's happening in terms of the way the team is constructing the roster, right? Like, I think ultimately Kyle Shanahan is still the most important person uh, when it comes to the, the way the roster is constructed. And I think that was what was created um, in the dynamic when the 49ers hired Shanahan and then allowed him to pick John Lynch. Uh, what getting Lynch did help the 49ers 
um, get somebody like Adam Peters, who's their VP of uh, player personnel, who has a really important role in scouting and and um, identifying players. And you have Parag Marate, who is the cap guy, who, you know, all of the all of the work the 49ers have done to maintain cap space, even while they were bad, was with a season like this in mind. When you say, OK, we can afford to now pay a franchise quarterback what Jimmy Garoppolo is making and still go get D Ford give him a healthy contract, go get Weston Richburg, make him right. one of the highest paid centers in the league and go get, um, you know, Richard Sherman, make him one of the highest paid corners in the league after reaching all of his benchmarks, of course. Uh, so John Lynch is, is a key, a key part in, in the front office and everything sort of revolves around him. And, and a big part of his job is empowering everybody to, to do all of this good work that they've done it's not that John Lynch is sitting at the top of the table at, at the top of the boardroom and saying, this is what I want the roster to look like. You guys execute this in my vision. It's more Kyle Shanahan identifying what he needs and then working with John Lynch and everybody else to give the 49ers or to give the, the front office that vision and, and this cohesive identity of how they want to build this roster. So um, I'm with you in that. I think, John Lynch being named executive of the year is more of a referendum on the the roster construction as a whole. And ultimately like the Niners are the, I think the, the fifth team since the merger to go from winning five or fewer games or fewer than five games, I should say uh, to the end of, to a conference title game the next season. So that's what the, the award reflects. We've talked a lot about Nick Bosa. We don't need to, to dive through that any longer. Um, we know he's really good. He's probably their best player uh, on defense, at least right now, as a rookie, which speaks volumes as to how important he is for the team. And that's yeah. that's another reason why the 49ers are so successful is when you can have a, a premium player at a premium position on a rookie contract. Like that's that's a incredibly valuable asset to have. And ultimately, too, you look at the Niners with the exception of like Emmanuel Sanders, Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward, who are their big three free agents coming up. It looks like pretty sustainable what what the 49ers are doing this year. And they are going to have to make a lot of moves. But um, in terms of the sustainability of the roster that they have now, it's not like an, we're all in this season and it's all going to come crumbling down like it was after 2013 when you were so laden with veterans. Um, you have a lot of guys on on long term contracts, a lot of a lot of young guys who are funded. And that's sort of part of why the 49ers are, are in this good situation they're, they're in right now in sort of a broad sense. Semi-related, Jared yes. Goff has a $36 million cap hit next year. Yeah, which is why the 49ers <laughs> front-loading, you know, the Niners front-loading Jimmy Garoppolo's contract when they had all of that cap space and very few good players around him. That's why that was smart. Right. Um, and that's not... That's not a that's not John Lynch's area of expertise. Like right, but you know, constructing contracts. Todd so, Gurley's cap hit next year is seventeen and a quarter million. Um, <laughs> right. uh, I I think that the other thing that Lynch is is getting a lot of credit for, and the front office should get a lot of credit for, is we talked about how important this year's draft class was going to be, and how yes. if the Forty ers are going to contend, they were going to need a big showing from their, their 2019 draft class. And Nick Bosa has been a, a rookie of the year and, and arguably a 
defensive of the year candidate. I am I would be flabbergasted if he didn't win defensive rookie of the year. Oh, he's going to. Yeah. He's gonna, I, I, he's I gonna would, run away with it. I would be totally stunned if he if he didn't. Um Debo Samuel has been has been excellent. Their second round pick. Uh, Mitch Wisnowski's been good. Their punter. They took him in the fourth round. Drake Greenlaw, like you said, PFWA, first team all rookie. Uh, they took him in the fifth round, and he had to step in for Quan Alexander. And he made the became, biggest, who biggest tackle of the year. Yeah, bi- biggest play of the year uh, to this point in Week 17 against Seattle. And then he replaced Quan Alexander, who got signed in the offseason for big money and immediately became like the heartbeat of the defense. So, I mean, all those moves really tie together, but uh, the draft class especially – has been excellent when really uh and and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Justin School who got taken in the 6th round and filled in for Joe Staley uh for for several weeks and, and did a pretty good job over there at left tackle which is not an easy spot to step in as a 6th round pick and play so uh just it feels like everything the Niners have touched and John Lynch has touched this year has turned into gold and it's no pun intended and I, I just I, I really think that they deserve some form of recognition for that. They've rolled a whole lot of sevens. Yeah. Um this year. So let's talk about the NFC. Although in craps a seven isn't necessarily good unless it's on the first roll. So I mean I don't know anything about craps. I just know uh, when you so play fun. dice uh, se- dude, sevens yeah. is we'll, okay. we'll 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 go somewhere and play craps sometime. It's I, d- I just I just like the dice analogy, rolling sevens. Um, yeah, yeah, he's you know we're we're almost twenty minutes into the pod, and we need to start uh, <laughs> yeah, right. previewing. Right. There's the, an the NFC game. championship game coming up, an NFC title game, and That's I think one headline. of the reasons why it why we might be uh, this is not on purpose, but why we might be taking a little bit of time to get to this game is because it's really hard to look at the matchup and not feel like the 49ers are decidedly the better team, right? Like. This isn't a game where it feels very, very even, and uh, the the Packers have a lot of things that the 49ers have to worry about in the sense that the Packers are better than the 49ers in certain areas. Like, they're not. I think that's one of the things that is unique about this game is that I don't know where you can look in terms of this matchup and say the Packers have a huge advantage here. And, you know, right, maybe you right. could say they have a better offensive line. I guess you can make that case. But after the the way the 49ers offensive line played against Minnesota and one of the better front sevens in the league and pushing them around and being able to run the ball 47 times, um, it's a really impressive game for the 49ers offensive line heading into this one. And so the point is, is like the, the Niners are seven point favorites. And that feels like a ton of points, but it also feels valid because of the way that November 24th game went. And so it's just a unique game. And like, I don't, I think it's probably going to be more competitive. I mean, it, I, I'm, I, it's not a stretch to say that it's probably going to be more competitive than that 38 to seven blowout in November, but it's just a unique game because the 49ers have played so many close games against so many good teams, you know, like the Ravens and the Saints uh, and the Seahawks. And now you look at this one, it's like, I don't know, you know, looking at the Packers season and the, and yeah, they've won a bunch of games since losing to the Niners, but like how many of them have been super impressive? 
Right. And how impressive was beating the Seahawks the way they did in Green Bay off the bye week against a Seattle team that, frankly, aside from Russell Wilson, isn't all that good. Um, so it's it's a little bit unique from that standpoint in that the Packers, aside from like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, like if Devontae Adams goes for 200 yards, then yeah, the Packers are probably going to be really tough for the 49ers to beat. But unless the 49 like my take on the game is unless the 49ers shoot themselves in the foot and or lose guys to injuries, um, I don't know how this isn't a comfortable win for the Niners. Like if it's if the Niners don't turn the ball over and main keep all of their starters on the field, I just don't know how the Packers are going to come to Levi's Stadium and win this game, given the body of evidence we have from both of these teams. Right, and I don't even think that's so much drawing on their Week 12 matchup. Because right. that's been... that's been. Uh, I work in sports radio here in the Bay Area, and one of the... For, for new listeners of the pod, I feel like we mention that once a show. Mm-hmm. And so for new listeners, that's my job. And... <laughs> Uh, and one of the big talking points this week is there's a lot of people that just seem to think that the Niners are going to win this game by 30. And what? like you said, they, they, they could definitely win comfortably. Like if you told me that this game went exactly how the Vikings game went, like there were a couple of plays that went the, the Packers way that allowed them to score a couple of touchdowns and maybe a field goal and the Niners won by by 13 or something. I, I would buy that 100%. But banking on like like remember how that game started? There was a ticky-tack penalty on Devontae Adams that Right, it that, was a personal foul for taunting when all he did was like kind of throw the ball to Emmanuel Mosley or something. It, it, yeah, it was it was a very ticky-tack foul that put him behind the sticks when they should have had a first down. Aaron Rodgers gets sacked on third down ball comes out. Niners recover at the two. They score one play later. They're up seven, nothing before fans are in the seats. Right. And I think expecting that type of start again is probably unrealistic just by virtue of how football games go. And the, the key for me though, is what you just said. Like when you try and look at advantages, I don't know where the Packers are clearly better than the 49ers. Like is Devonte Adams. Would he be the best receiver on the 49ers? Sure. But I don't like the the Packers receivers against the Niners defensive backs more than I like the Niners receivers against the Packers defensive backs. And Absolutely. I, I just I, I really think that's what it comes down to. And weird things happen in football games. Like I, the Packers could definitely win. I'm not taking that off the table, but I, I think in most realistic senses, where the 49ers go out and play the type of game they've played all year, I don't know how the Packers win. Yeah, totally agree. And and we see upsets happen all the time. Sure. And, and Look at the Titans. The reason, yeah, exactly. And the reason why they're upsets is because you have a certain body of evidence that tells you one thing, and what happens in the game goes completely against that, and it's unexpected. And that could happen on Sunday. Um, the 49ers could absolutely lose, but I think they are rightfully seven-point favorites against the Packers. And yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was another buzzsaw game, right? Like, that's what we said going into the Vikings game was that the Vikings are good, uh, particularly on defense, and there's a chance that they're able to stop the run, take away the middle of the field from Jimmy Garoppolo in the passing game, and then it could be a really tough game for the 49ers. But instead, 
and there was an element of that. Like the Vikings defense did do well against the pass, and particularly against Jimmy Garoppolo in the middle of the field. But it was a buzzsaw game from the standpoint of the way the defense played. And getting D Ford back healthy, getting Quan Alexander and Jaquaski Tart, like the 49ers are as healthy as they've been all year. Their only starter that they're missing is their nose tackle DJ Jones. And we thought, well, Dalvin Cook can run the ball. Well, Dalvin Cook had you know, 26 yards on on what it, whatever it was, 16 touches, and was basically a non-factor, even though he's like the entire engine of the Vikings offense, right? Right. So missing DJ Jones didn't really matter. Point being, when you look at the 49ers defense playing that way, it played that way against the Packers last time. And now the fact that they were able to get back to that level after struggling down the stretch while, the, while the, those key guys were out, now you think like, all right, this is the best pass defense since 2009, statistically, uh, allowing 169 net yards per game. The Niners are the only team in the NFL who have four guys with at least six and a half sacks. Um, they're all playing at a pretty high level, uh, even D Ford coming off the injury. And so, you know, like the Niners struggled against mobile quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, yeah, he's he's mobile and he can extend plays, but he's not Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson. And so, like, I I, I don't think it's crazy to, to, to be confident, but this is how you lose, right? This is how you lose football games if you're a team, if you don't have right. the same edge that you need. But I think what's going to give the 49ers the edge is is the moment, right? Yeah. Like. You're not very. You're not gonna be. You're not gonna sleepwalk in an NFC title game at three o'clock. Better not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like this isn't the. This isn't the the Falcons after a Falcons game that really doesn't mean a whole lot after you just win the biggest game of the season on the road. Right. Um. And you you have injured guys who you could play but you don't really need to play. And I'm talking about Richard Sherman. Um. You know, like th this is an entirely different circumstance. So I, I don't think there's going to be a letdown from the standpoint of the Super Bowl is on the line. Everything they've worked for for the past year has been building towards this moment. And it's not a regular season situation where like you're looking ahead like this is I'm not expecting a letdown. So, yeah, that's why I think, um, you know, the way the defense is playing is really the number one thing. And then you just talk about Kyle Shanahan's ability to find weaknesses in defenses and and you know there are all those advanced numbers that say the Packers are one of the worst thirteen and three teams in in recent history. Um, I mean that's a good problem to have to be a bad thirteen yeah. and three team. But when you get to this point in the season and you're going up against a real thirteen and three team with home field advantage, who's as healthy as the 49ers are, and as deep and as uh, devoid of like glaring weaknesses, I think uh, I think the 49ers are rightfully big favorites. Yeah, and everything, everything that that you said about the way the Niners' defense is playing, is is something that I've really harped on all year. Is when they get into January, if they can run the ball and and play defense at the level that they were playing, they're not gonna they're not gonna lose a lot of games, especially in January when teams are taking air out of the ball and uh, points are harder to come by. I just like Brian Balaga was out for the Packers in in their last game. He got hurt early, and and I think Alex Light is the name of their backup. Didn't play particularly well. But the Niners also didn't have D Ford in that game. They didn't have Quan Alexander in that game. 
there's there's the the last few weeks of the year that that made so many people I think nationally down in the Niners like a lot of that stuff's registered moot when they have those two guys on the field Jaquaski Tart's back as well uh who's also had a really excellent year the the big thing for me though and the thing I always go back to is if you took away names and faces and you just gave me on paper these two teams I'm looking at the Niners and I'm going that team should run away with it but you can't do that because lining up under center on the other side is Aaron Rodgers and I think Kyle Shanahan put it really put it put it really well when he said uh quote I think he said this on on Monday uh, quote, he's never out of a game. Uh, I think we were up 23 nothing at halftime versus him, and he made it 23-8 to after his first drive. It's 23-8 to halfway through the third quarter, and I think it's a tight game because of who is over there at quarterback. And that is what continues clanging around in my head when I think about this game, is even if the Niners go up 17 nothing, how many times have we seen Aaron Rodgers make ridiculous throw after ridiculous throw and the defense gets a stop or two and all of a sudden 17, nothing is 17, 14 and eight minutes of game time have passed. Right. And that's where the, the one big equalizer in the NFL is quarterback play. And there are like a handful of quarterbacks in the league that you're never quite comfortable with a lead against them. And Aaron Rodgers is one of them. Yeah, I agree. And um, my counter would be that this is a vastly different Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I, and, and that we've and, seen. Like, I, I have the numbers up right now since the 49ers game. Obviously, the 49ers game in November was statistically the worst start of his career. Yeah. Um, in the five games since then, and this hasn't exactly <clears throat> been a murderer's row of, of uh, playoff teams here, but um, in his last five regular season games, <clears throat> which were all wins against the Giants, Washington, Chicago, uh, the Vikings, and the Lions in, in that season finale. Rodgers combined numbers. He's completing 57% of his passes, which is not good. Um, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, which is fine. 85.4 passer rating. Here's the one, and I'm a big yards per attempt guy, uh, 6.24 yards per attempt over those five games Jeez. against... I would argue one good defense. I mean, you, Washington's defense is is underrated, but uh, that's you know Washington at home is is a team that he should probably do better than, um, you know, 195 yards on 28 pass attempts. That's not great. That's no. fewer than seven yards per attempt against Washington. You you need to be better than that. Um, like this, there hasn't been a whole lot of impressive play from Aaron Rodgers lately. Now, that being said, he did have that final drive against the Packers oh, that included that against ridiculous the throw to, sorry, yeah, against the Seahawks, Devontae Adams, converting that at third down, um, and then the throw to Jimmy Graham that, that iced the game, obviously. Like, Rodgers still has that in him, but he has not been the world beater that we're used to seeing from him. And so if he was that guy on Sunday, it would kind of be out of nowhere because just like looking at yards per attempt. So if you're a good starting quarterback in the NFL, you want to be around eight yards per attempt. Right. Right. Like Rodgers and Rodgers averaged nine yards per attempt against the Seahawks, which is good. That's really good. Yeah. Um, against the Giants, he was at 7.36. Washington, uh, 6.96. 
6.15 against the Bears. And then the last two regular games of the se- regular season games um, against Minnesota and Detroit, he was at 5.4 and 5.87, which is bad. That's not good. So, and they should have lost that game to Detroit. Right. But so I digress. Yeah, they, they probably should have. And that was really what got them the number two seed. And you have to wonder what this what would have happened if they didn't get the second seed in the bye. Um, point being, like this hasn't been a super impressive stretch for Aaron Rodgers, so it's going to come from out of no. <clears throat> wow, my voice is gone. My uh, it's going right. to come from out of nowhere if uh, if Rodgers does have a really big game on Sunday. Let me drink some water. How about that? Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to talk while you do that. <clears throat> I think part of I think part of it comes back to the the personnel around Rodgers when he had Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson and James Jones and Jermichael Finley he had a whole group of pass catchers that he trusted who could go make a play for him when he scrambled like that that play he made against the Cowboys in the playoffs down in Dallas where he scrambled left and then fired a seed down the sideline because he was in sync with with his receiver and I, and I forget who caught it I think it was a tight end and, and his name escapes me but uh, it might I don't think it was Finley but anyways I don't think he has that with anybody but Adams this year and I think that's a big reason why his numbers are down and and you mentioned the two big throws he had uh, were to Adams and to Graham. Because I don't think you trust Geronimo Allison. I don't think you trust Alan Lazard. Um, I don't think you trust Marquez Valdez Scantling. Like that, that there was this group of pass catchers that he had this year that he never just really clicked with. I don't think. And so if the Niners' pass rush can get him off his spot, force him to move around, and try and ad lib with these receivers he doesn't trust, it puts the Niners at a massive advantage. And that's why I think having D Ford back, even though the Packers have a very good offensive line, the Niners defensive line is just so freaking hard to block. And if they can shut down Aaron Jones and get the Packers in second and long, third and long situations, it's going to be super hard for them to move the ball. Yeah. So remember how earlier in the week, was it this week we talked about um, people taking people understanding sarcasm on Twitter? Yeah, that was this week for sure. Yeah, so uh, you did a poll about Joe Burrow, <laughs> and uh, we we talked about that. You can go listen to the last episode if if you like to to catch up on that one. So I took my own stab at a sarcasm, and it was kind of like a a it was kind of a throwaway tweet for me because I was bored. It was Tuesday, which is my day off, and I'm I'm reading and doing research on the game, and you know rewatching stuff. And uh, people are talking, you know, national writers or media people are talking about the uh, the fact that the 49ers passed on Aaron Rodgers in the 2005 draft. And so I decide to take to Twitter uh, being a smart ass. And I say, wow, am I reading this right? The 49ers had a chance to draft Aaron Rodgers and pass. And obviously I was being sarcastic and it being Twitter. Um, like hundred like 250 people responded. And I would say like 60 to 70% of them thought I was being serious. <laughs> and I got like people asking me how old I was. Um, people like really 
insulting my intelligence level and the fact that I didn't know that because it's the most tired and played out storyline of, you know, between these two teams. Um, and that was sort of what I was getting at with the joke. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I told some of my colleagues and we were laughing about it today that I'm just not going to be sarcastic on Twitter anymore, or at least during like when fans are, um, during high leverage moments in the season, I should say, like being yes. sarcastic yes. leading into the NFC title game, uh, probably not a great idea. And if the 49ers end up going to the Super Bowl, might not be a good idea to throw out sarcastic tweets uh, in that scenario. So anyway, people are very on edge. Yeah. Um, and that's OK. Like I got I, asked I if I was it. new. Are you new? I've been covering the 49ers for a hilarious thing to say, by the way. Right. Um, yeah. And, and some people got it. I got some good gifs or gifs, whichever you prefer. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of eye rolls. Um, people just, yeah, just don't. Anyway, the Twitter doesn't always, doesn't always play or sorry. The sarcasm doesn't always play on the Twitter. The vitriol is my favorite thing. Yeah. When people get angry about calling me all sorts of names, right. Or calling Um, you all sorts of names. Right. So plights of us being assholes on twitter yeah that's that uh, segment. People, people probably don't want to hear about that no. um so let's we talk about other storylines going into the game we talked about the niners defense um how about jimmy garoppolo 11 of 19 131 yards touchdown and an interception against the vikings um did some radio hits recently and people were like cool, man. are we are we concerned i know says the guy who works at a radio station um, all right. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play well. He played poorly, whatever. Um, and it wasn't Jimmy Garoppolo's best game, but I'll, I'll push back on the idea that he didn't play well. I mean, he, he didn't, he certainly didn't play great for a handful of plays. Like he made some bad throws, particularly yeah. in the middle of the field. There was an incompletion of Debo Samuel, uh, before his interception that probably should have been picked. Um, 11, 19 certainly isn't a good stat line, but I thought he had three drop passes by his receivers, two from Kendrick Bourne, one from George Kittle on the first drive. And I think we mentioned it last on the last episode, but if he completes those passes and his stat line is 14 of 19 and, uh, he's at, you know, 160 or 170 yards instead of 131. Um, and a couple of those plays would have extended drives too, by the way, Uh, a couple of those drops, like, his numbers look drastically different and we're talking about the game in, in a different vein in terms of Garoppolo's production. Suffice to say, I'm not particularly worried about Garoppolo or the moment being too big for him. Um, he's been in NFC title games. He, he was on two Super Bowl teams with the Patriots before he came to the 49ers. Uh, the game script sort of dictated the fact that the 49ers were going to run the ball a ton against the Vikings and they had a ton of su- success with it. The interception obviously didn't help. Kyle Shanahan basically decided not to allow Garoppolo to throw all that much after the team had the lead and after he threw the interception at the end of the first half. But um, in terms of like my overall concern with Garoppolo's performance, it's very low because we've seen him throughout the season sort of have these games where, all right, they, they didn't need a whole lot from Garoppolo. And then the next week he, he ends up playing really well. I think, we're more likely to get a, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of expecting a, a performance like he had in that November game where he was, you know, he was efficient. He was 14 of 20, 
but he averaged almost, you know, 12.65 yards per attempt, which was his highest of the season in that game. Actually, no, the Seattle game was uh, the second Seattle game. He averaged almost 13 yards per attempt. Um, I'm that's expecting just, an efficient Garoppolo. That's Put just it, it is, is the efficiency. That, that's what matters. If every coach in the league, whether it's Sean Payton or Andy Reid or Bill Belichick or pick a pick a team with a great quarterback, every coach, if you say, hey, you can win running the ball 47 times and passing at 19, every coach is taking that. Right. And there was no need for the 49ers in that game to to have Garoppolo possibly throw another pick and let Minnesota get back into the game. That's a good defense, a well-coached defense that was throwing some stuff at Garoppolo that, that he hadn't seen yet. And I, I just, I I'm, I'm with you. It, we've seen him continually bounce back this year. We've seen him bounce back from interceptions. He just didn't really get an opportunity to do that uh, because they stopped needing to throw the ball because they were ripping off five yards of carry in the second half. Yeah. He wasn't particularly good in the Rams game. Um, he had two picks and uh, completed fewer than 60% of his throws. Really what saved his stat line was that, that last throw uh, to Emmanuel Sanders that ultimately got the 49ers the win. But then the next week he had one of his best games of the year in Seattle in arguably the biggest game of the year. Like in the 49ers, two biggest regular season games of the year, Garoppolo was nails, right? Yep. So um, at New Orleans, obviously, and and at Seattle, and those are road games and and – his numbers are significantly better on the road, and I think they're probably – I mean, there are three – his three best games statistically of the season were on the road. You you go back to week two against the uh, the Bengals for that other one. But, yeah, like I, I'm not I'm not expecting a four-touchdown, 400-yard performance from Garoppolo on Sunday, but I, I think the Niners are going to be able to run the ball, and I think it's going to be an efficient game from Garoppolo where he's completing something like 70% of his passes – and averaging something like eight or nine yards per attempt. And uh, and maybe he gets a couple touchdowns. But as long as he's not turning the ball over and the 49ers are running the ball well, I think the defense is, is going to be enough. And so, yeah, my concern level for Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday is is low, even though he did throw a terrible interception against the Vikings. Um, I'm with you. So the 49ers are three and four all time against the Packers in the postseason. <clears throat> They've won the last two. And obviously, Colin Kaepernick uh, was the quarterback in those games after the 2011 <clears throat> and uh, 2013 seasons. And um, I'm, I don't know. Is this going to be a classic? I don't think it is because I think, I mean, un- unless the 49ers, like we said, make a ton of mistakes or deal with injuries or whatever, um, I have a hard time seeing this one be this one coming down to the wire. I think it's going to be the 49ers uh, comfortably, but it could be a classic. Um, I would be down for, for a, a close competitive game. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, that's sort of how stadiums get their lure, right? Like Candlestick had a bunch of big games, and the reason why it was so revered as such a legendary place to play was because of all the close, high-leverage games. Yep. Um, a blowout at Levi's, I don't know if that really does anything for Levi's in terms of like, okay, the Niners have have this building now that um, has some sort of playoff mystique. I think 
Um, a blowout would obviously be nice and fans would love it. But I think what gives a place real mystique is like, you know, things happen like the catch or, um, you know, all the other close playoff games that were played there. Yeah, I, if if we get a classic on Sunday, it's going to be because we get a vintage performance from Aaron Rodgers where he completes like 31 of 38 for 400 yards and five touchdowns. Like, yeah, I, I just I I I don't imagine that happening if the Niners stay healthy all game. Right. And and I mean, maybe maybe we get maybe we get another another tight one, but I we'll we'll get to predictions later. But I just I I have a hard time coming up with with realistic scenarios that aren't like doomsday where that happens. All right, let's take a uh, a quick break and hear from our friends from Untuck It. So, Kyle, have you ever seen an untucked button down? Yes, Chris, I have. Yeah, sorry, they look... sorry, my my <laughs> sorry, my computer freaked out. What'd you say? Oh, good. Uh, have you ever seen an untucked button down shirt? Boy, have I. I. I've worn them. In fact, I wear them almost all the time. Uh, do you think they look good or bad? Well, my old ones looked bad. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, because they weren't meant to be worn that way. But you have new oh. ones, right? Uh, yeah, thanks to Untuck It. Yeah, so the Untuck It is the original button-down shirt that's actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your shape or size, Untucked shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Um, I'm taller. I, I guess I'm athletic. I guess I have an athletic build, but I wouldn't say I'm athletic. Athletic takes Athleticism takes, like, dexterity, and I do you not are, have that. You are an incredible athlete. Yeah, I think the most athletic thing I do is type fast while I'm transcribing. Um, but I have a, uh, I have an untucked shirt. I actually have a couple untucked shirts, and uh, and they're great. They fit, they fit comfortably. They look good. Um, and I know Kyle has one, and we do not have the same build, but Kyle's fits excellent you, as well. You walk to the stadium. <laughs> you do yoga. I don't walk to the stadium. You're basically yoga, you're basically an elite. Physical yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, Chris, from... before I got untucked shirts, I was a lonely cat dad. <laughs> I sat with my cats by myself and I would watch a lot of television alone. And then I got an untucked shirt and I wore it on a date. And now that date has been my girlfriend for going on three years. And, and you own a house. And we own a home together. And all thanks to Untuck It. I don't know. It's what, a modern what I could possibly, day success story. I don't know what I could possibly say that will sell shirts better than that. How about some but awesome choose from, choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, 
Untuckit is the way to go. Visit Untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That is a serious discount. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off at Untuckit. Okay, this is this is far and away the longest pod we've done. We're not anywhere close to finishing, and we're at 50 minutes, but we're going to keep it going because it is the NFC title game, and there's only one of those a year um, as opposed to 16 regular season games. So key players to watch, D. Ford, we mentioned. Um, the pass rush is just completely different with him. Uh, you talk to players, coaches, they will all tell you the importance of D Ford, even if he is playing something like 30% of the snaps, I think on the year he played 22% of the snaps just overall. And obviously he missed five games with a, uh, with the hamstring and, and knee injuries, but um, just an incredibly important, important player. And now he's back and he, it sounds like he's improving in terms of his hamstring health. And, uh, and I think that's a real scary proposition for the Packers because of just how the pass rush is, is looking right now. And there are really no holes. It's like four elite dudes at their respective positions coming after you. And, uh, it allows the 49ers to drop seven guys into coverage. And obviously the secondary is very good. And it's the formula for statistically the best pass defense since 2009. Yeah, they just have which is so, ten years. That's the best pass defense in ten years, statistically. They they just have so many pieces that fit perfectly into a modern defense, where they have three linebackers that can cover anywhere on the field and are and are very good at that. They have safeties in Jaquaski Tart and Jimmy Ward, uh, who are both excellent tacklers that can fly down in the box, but also play up high. Uh, Richard Sherman is, uh, if you ask him, the best corner uh, in the game. Uh, just ask him. Uh, or don't ask him, and he'll tell you anyway. <laughs> um, he's great. I'm I'm so happy I get to listen to his interviews uh, every day. Um, it's really hard to point to a weakness on this defense. Like, that's, that's the yeah. ultimate point there. And... I think that when the pass rush is getting home, that's what this entire defense is built from from the front back. And when that pass rush is getting home, it's it's impossible to to move the ball on them because there's not a player you can isolate and, and go after. Totally agree. And uh, the way Emmanuel Mosley played, replacing Akella Witherspoon uh, against a really good you know receiving core that the uh, that the Vikings have, or at least a top heavy one. Uh, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are both very good. They don't have a ton of depth elsewhere, but uh, Mosley did play pretty well after replacing Witherspoon. So it sounds like Mosley's going to start again. Um, other key player to watch: George Kittle, uh, three catches, 16 yards against Minnesota. He had six catches, 129 yards, and a 61-yard touchdown in that November game. Um, you made the point in the rundown, and it's a good one. A Kittle bounce back game in the passing game from a passing production standpoint likely means Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have a good game because you don't often, if ever, see uh, George Kittle have a great game and Jimmy Garoppolo have a bad one. Um, and so you also pointed out that Kittle's very good against the, or 
very good blocking defensive ends in the running game. Uh, that was evident by pushing around Everson Griffin, which I would have not expected if you told me that that was going to happen last week against Minnesota. That was wild. George Kittle just moving Everson Griffin, like one of the better defensive ends in the league, despite Griffin having like 20 pounds on him. Um, it was just not a development I expected. Like the... I would I would expect those guys to like move to a standstill, like it would be even, but Kittle just blowing him off the ball was was wild. The The NFL Films clip of Kittle driving Griffin 15 yards away from the play turning to the sideline and yelling, run it again. <laughs> Especially knowing that Everson Griffin talks a lot of shit. Like that had to have felt really good for Kittle. Yeah. We were privy and- <laughs> to Everson Griffin's shit talking before the game. Wow. He was, <laughs> Hey, not, not a nice person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you were, uh, if you were anywhere near the North end zone before the game, um, you were luckily privy to Everson Griffin and uh, and his expletives that he a used lot of them. to get his get himself and his teammates fired up. Um, I, I curse a lot in my daily life, like too much, and it takes a lot for me to notice a person swearing, and <laughs> <laughs> and it was all I noticed. Yeah, it was, it was pretty pretty. Remarkable. But but anyway, going going to back to. Kittle, I'm I'm not certain he'll be able to do that against Zedarius and Preston Smith, um, mm-hmm. who are who are very good in the run. But like you said, uh, if he can hold those guys to a standstill, uh, if he can move them a little bit or uh, get to the second level uh, and clean up a little bit, I, that's just become such an important facet of his game because he is elite. Uh, at run blocking, and if the Niners' run game is going, uh, it's like their pass rush. Uh, it makes them it makes them really hard to stop. Um, another key player I'm going to throw in here is Emmanuel Mosley, and I do think he's going to start. I think the Packers are going to try to isolate Devontae Adams on him as much as possible. <clears throat> and you look at Emmanuel Mosley's numbers. Uh, quarterbacks have an 83.3 passer rating when targeting him, which is not particularly good. Um, you go back to the game against the Packers where Mosley started. Um, he allowed three catches on five targets. I think a couple of those were at least to uh, Devontae Adams. But, I mean, 6.7 yards per reception is not a whole lot. Um, the last time Mosley allowed a touchdown in coverage was to Julio Jones in that Falcons game because Richard Sherman didn't play. Uh, the only other touchdown he allowed came at Arizona and uh, I think that was the very long play um, to the rookie receiver the speed guy no that was not that's incorrect I forget which touchdown it was that uh, that Mosley was in coverage for that Halloween game Um, either way Mosley's been good uh, particularly for a guy in his position who wasn't expected to be a starter a second year pro a former undrafted rookie whose entire rookie season was a wash because he got hurt on a kickoff return uh, that he was blocking for. And so um, I think if if there is a Achilles heel for this Niners defense, it could be Emmanuel Mosley just because of his inexperience. And if you're the Packers, you're going to try to line Devontae Adams up 
on the left side of the formation as much as possible to get him on Mosley. And then you hope that he can just win one-on-one matchups to the point where like, I mean, I think if, if the Packers are going to win, it's going to take something like 12 catches, 12 to 15 catches from Adams and at least two touchdowns. Yeah. Um, because I don't think it's going to take a Julio Jones type of performance. Right. Like, I don't think Aaron Jones, like any running back really there, no running back has, has beaten the 49ers to the, like in, in a significant way this year. Right. Like there hasn't been a game where it's like, Oh man, the Niners got killed by running back X and that's why they lost. Like the Niners lost because of, um, you know, quarterback play and, and throwing the ball downfield and, and, you know, taking advantage of a Witherspoon mistakes or yep. whatever. Um, it's going to take a Devonte Adams game for the Packers to win. And their best chance is isolating Emmanuel Mosley and, uh, Mosley's been good, man. Like yep. allowing 57% of your 58% of your, uh, targets and coverage. That's like a, that's a low completion rate. Yeah. And really 83.8 rating is, is good. And, um, his last two games, he's allowed five catches on 11 targets, which is good. Right? Um, like that, that includes Minnesota and Seattle. Those are high leverage games. Like Emmanuel Mosley has been very good. And, yeah. uh, and so I think he's going to hey, be key. Hey, just because it's going to bug me. What was your question about the Arizona game? Uh, who's, who did Emmanuel Mosley allow a touchdown against in coverage? The, the long one? No, it wasn't the long one. Um, cause that was K1 Williams. Um, Week nine. Yeah, I can't remember. I'm going back. Uh, why don't you throw one more player to watch, and I will f- ans- find the answer to this all-important question. Uh, for me, it's Tevin Coleman, because he was not. Uh, we we highlighted this a little bit last podcast, and so I don't want to. I don't want to get too far into that, but Keyshawn Johnson. Ah, there it is. Yeah, Fresno State's own. Uh, Keyshawn, K-E-E, capital S-E-A-N. Anyways, uh, Tevin Coleman, in the in the five weeks to end the year, had 22 carries for 96 yards, no touchdowns, uh, and two catches for 16 yards, no touchdowns in the air. On Saturday against Minnesota, 22 catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns. If they're getting that level of production from Coleman, uh, the, there's 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 not a weakness on this offense. And I think that he won't get 22 carries again. Kyle Shanahan spoke about uh, how Matt Breida and uh, Raheem Mostert, I almost said Raheem Mosley again, uh, <laughs> and how Raheem Mostert, were were a little banged up, which led to Coleman uh, getting so many carries. He was kind of the hot hand, and then there were the injuries, and then Brita fumbles, and that that's how he wound up with 22 carries. I don't think he gets 22 carries again, but if he rips off 4.8 a carry and gets 12 to 15 carries, the Niners' offense is going to be in really, really good shape. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine a lot of scenarios where Tevin Coleman... Uh, plays like he did last week in the 49ers lose. Right. So he's my, uh, okay. he's my other one to watch. Let's go to matchups to watch. Um, 
Zadarius Smith, Joe Staley, I think that's probably the biggest one when the Niners offense is on the field. Um, and you put this in the rundown, so you deserve credit for that. Uh, Zadarius Smith had 11 pressures against uh, the Seahawks in 39 pass rushing snaps, which is phenomenal. Um, and he had two sacks, according this all according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, I mean, he's their best defensive player and is yes. probably not close. And Staley didn't play in that game November in November, and Smith had uh, one and a half sacks. And so, you know, we saw it against the Seahawks when the Niners tackles didn't play well in that loss in November um, in which Staley got hurt that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo fumbled a couple times because the Seahawks were able to get after him. And that just so happened to be Jadavian Clowney's biggest game of the year. It would take a massive performance from Zadarius Smith against Joe Staley, who's playing a lot better. Like Joe Staley has been very, very good in recent weeks and it's been vintage high level Joe Staley now since he's been healthy uh really for the first time all season since fracturing his his fibula in week two um and then coming back from that a little bit early then breaking his finger um he's strung together about five weeks now where he's been healthy playing at a high level feels really good about things and uh so I I think Zadarius Smith at this point you know, is closer to his prime than 35-year-old Joe Staley. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if Smith got the better of Staley on a few different reps. But the key is going to be for the 49ers to prevent Smith from making game-changing plays, right? Like, there are going to be opportunities where, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to sidestep him and make a throw in pressure or, you know, escape and um, throw the ball away, which he doesn't do often enough. Uh, But that's going to be a really intriguing one. And, and um, I'm assuming those are the reasons why you, you put this down as a key matchup to watch. Yeah. Just because I think Zadaria Smith is the one guy on their defense that can really wreck this game. Uh, the, they the Packers go down on the opening drive. They score a touchdown. The Niners come out. Uh, Zadaria Smith causes a strip sack. Packers recover. And all of a sudden they have the ball uh, deep in Niners territory up seven, nothing. Like that that's the kind of game changing play that Zadarius Smith can make. And you mentioned how dominant he was against the Seahawks, and the Seahawks really still had an opportunity to win that game. So I don't I don't think that it's the like single biggest matchup that'll decide the game. But if Staley can do to Zadarius Smith what he did what he did to Jadavian Clowney in week seventeen the Niners will have a very, very good opportunity to win because I don't know how the Packers stop them otherwise. Yeah, Zadarius Smith and Jadavian Clowney are two uh, mouthfuls of names. Yeah, that's that's say. a lot. That's a lot. You to, did well to, to you did well to things. power through that. Thank you. Um, we talked about Emmanuel Mosley versus Devontae Adams a little bit, and that was my mistake because I I jumped ahead in the rundown. Um, but. It is worth pointing out because Adams, um, I mean, that Adams is singularly like their most important weapon, right, on yeah. offense. And I know Aaron Jones scored a million touchdowns this year, but like I feel comfortable the Niners can can slow down Aaron Jones and it's it's going to be all about Devontae Adams. Let's let's move on since we already hit on that a little bit. Um, and you, you pointed out too in the rundown that Richard Sherman is not going to be shadowing Adams um, because Sherman is pretty much ingrained on the left side and the 49ers, even when they do man coverage, 
like to keep their corners on one side of the field uh, rather than having, you know, somebody like Sherman shadow a receiver, which he hasn't done all year. So um, that's why I guess I'm expecting Adams to line up on the left so much and go against Emmanuel Mosley. So we'll have to see how the 49ers, uh, what they do in terms of coverages, do they shift things going that direction? Does Jimmy Ward play on that side of the field? Do they more do they play more double high or more single high, which is typically what they do? Um, we will have to see, and that will be interesting. Uh, a matchup I'm really looking forward to, and uh, I put this in here in part because I wrote about Jimmy Ward today, and you guys all know if you've been listening to this podcast that Kyle and I are the co-mayors of uh, – are the co-presidents – uh, and or dictators of Jimmy Ward Island. Really the and, sole inhabitants outside of the friends and family we invited. Well, I think people have, have have started to show interest in real estate on Jimmy Ward Island, particularly the beachfront property, because it's beautiful and we're building some golf courses. But um, Jimmy Ward's really good. And the 49ers have allowed an NFL low 34 pass plays of 20-plus yards this season. So they are the hardest defense in the league to get explosive pass plays against. And a lot of that has to do with the pass rush, of course, but a lot of it also has to do with Jimmy Ward, whose pro football focus is six highest graded safety in football and quietly the 49ers fourth highest graded defensive player. And basically he's the free safety on the best pass defense statistically since 2009. Right. So we've said that a few different times. Um, one of the biggest takeaways or at least statistical points to make from that November game was Aaron Rodgers was 0 of 8 on throws of 10 plus yards downfield. Jimmy Ward had a couple of pass breakups. Both of them were on third down. One was a long one to Jimmy Graham in the second quarter down the right sideline of that game uh, when it was 10 nothing. And if Graham had caught it, he would have been down somewhere around the 25 yard line yeah. and putting you know, the Packers potentially in, in position to score, make it a one score game. And who knows what the game looks like after that. Instead, the 49ers go on to score 13 more points before the half hit halftime up 23, nothing. And the game was basically over at that point. Um, long story short, Jimmy Ward is very, very good, right? Like yeah. Jimmy Ward has been for one penalty this season. Uh, it was for pass interference against Julio Jones in the end zone in that Falcons game. And you can make the case that that probably wasn't a great call based on replay. Um, Jimmy Ward is very, very good at making hits and making tackles without drawing penalties, right? Like he did yep. it twice against the Vikings. Uh, both plays were on fourth down, actually, in the second half. Stefan Diggs deep down the left sideline. He goes over. He, Diggs beats Emmanuel Mosley in coverage. Looks like he's in posi position to make a catch inside the 10-yard line. Jimmy Ward hammers him with the shoulder, shoulder to shoulder, legal contact, uh, and Diggs does not make the catch. A lot of players would have would have blown Diggs up and and drawn a foul in in that scenario. Yep. Um, Ward doesn't do that. He's gone the entire season without getting flagged for a personal foul. Uh, he hasn't had an interception either, which he will always tell you uh, gets that like that bothers him the fact that he doesn't have any interceptions, but. Um, Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Ward is going to be very, very interesting and very important in the game uh, because the, for the Packers to win, they are going to have to have explosive plays downfield because I don't think they're going to be able to string together long drives with a bunch of short plays against this defense um, because the 49ers have been good against the run. And uh, 
And I think they are, there are going to be a lot of third and long scenarios where the pass rush can pin its ears back. So Jimmy Ward is going to be a very important player in the secondary. And I think the fact that the 49ers are the best team in the league at preventing explosive plays defensively speaks to how good their free safety play has been. And, and Jimmy Ward is good. And the knock on him is fair because he hasn't been healthy, but um, he's been healthy and he's he's been a very important player on that defense. And I think it kind of goes under the radar, too, because you don't see the safety on TV very much. Like it's not in the yeah. TV view. One of <laughs> the one of the targeted, you don't you don't see him hardly at all. Right. One of the clips going around after after the Niners Vikings game specifically was that play you were talking about where Ward uh, helped dislodge the ball from Stephon Diggs there at the end of the game. And the incredible part about that play, aside from all the things you mentioned, is that he covers like three quarters of the field to to get there and time that hit. Like it was just an incredible display of of instincts and speed, and then all all the things you talk about, where you know shoulder to shoulder, not blowing up the receiver, making sure it's a legal hit. Like he just does so many things well, and the Niners coaching staff, uh, all of them since Ward got drafted, have just gushed about Jimmy Ward the player and how much they like him, but he's not gotten to play much of his natural position of of free safety and now he is and we're seeing why he was such a popular guy because yep. he's just a really damn good football player right um george kittle versus the middle of the packers defense we've already talked about george kittle but let's talk about some numbers real quick from the packers the packers are kind of middling in terms of the way they defend tight ends um the 77 catches they allowed to tight ends 12th in the league 865 yards, 13th, six touchdowns. They are certainly susceptible to tight ends. I do think, you know, Darnell Savage is is a is going to be a really good player. He's a rookie. Um, Adrian Amos is is also a good player, free agent they signed. Uh, but the 49ers are are going to figure out ways to get George Kittle the ball, particularly if they're not just going to run the ball, try to run the ball 50 times like they did against the Vikings. Um, I'm expecting Kittle to to have a pretty big game. And the reason why is because I think Kyle Shanahan is going to figure out ways to get him against Kevin King, their cornerback, who is fine. He's not great, um, but he's probably the weakness of the secondary. And, and with Jair Alexander on the other side, I think Kevin King is going to be the guy to target in the secondary. And he was the guy in coverage when George Kittle beat them for that 61-yard touchdown in that November game. Um, but also Blake Martinez, middle linebacker, he allowed 62 catches on 74 targets in coverage. That's 84%. Um, so the 49ers would take Blake Martinez on George Kittle all day long. Uh, Martinez allowed 569 yards, no touchdowns. And that's probably, I don't know, a, a product of circumstance or maybe it's even an anom anomaly, but 367 yards after the catch, which was the most on the Packers. Um, Kyle, I don't know if you know this. George Kittle's good after the catch. And so what that could that could be problematic for the Packers if there's a scenario where Blake Martinez has to cover. him. Yeah, that's that's something that the Vikings were really good at was defending tight ends. We we heard it all week leading up to the game and it, and it played out that way on Saturday. The Packers don't do it particularly well. And when we talk about matchups that 
we we can't see there being an answer for unless the Packers are devoting like exorbitant defensive resources to Kittle and leaving other guys open to make plays. I don't know how they stop him. Because I I don't think their safeties can do it the way the way Harrison Smith can. And I don't think their linebackers can do it the way Eric Kendricks can. And I just I I don't see a scenario where Kittle doesn't have a typical, you know, five or six catches for ninety to one hundred and ten yards type of game. Totally agree. Um, all right, we are at an hour and almost fifteen minutes. <laughs> um, hey, it's the NFC Championship. We got a no, lot to I'm say. Not, I'm I'm not complaining. I I think this pod deserved the to be the longest one of the year. And uh, if the 49ers win on Sunday, then we'll probably have one even longer um, at some point down the road in, in the short, in the near future, I should say um, prediction time. What do you, what's your, uh, what's your prediction? I think the 49ers are going to win. Um, and I think they're going to do so. I, I really think that this goes somewhat like the Vikings game, but I think the Packers have a little more offensive firepower. And I think the 49ers win uh, 27, uh, 20, but I, I don't think that, that it's that close. Like I think maybe the Packers get a late touchdown or something, but uh, you're going push, you're going push on the seven point spread. Is that what you're 30, 30 to 20, the Niners get a late field goal to put it away. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm going to go 33, 17. Uh, and, um, I just don't know what answers the Vikings, the Vikings, I don't know what answers the Packers are going to have. Um, I, I find it impossible to not impossible, but highly unlikely Aaron Rodgers comes in and has some 400 yard performance and the 49ers defense or the 49ers offensively not being able to match whatever Rodgers does given what we've seen from Aaron Rodgers recently. And I know the Seahawks game, um, he was good in, but I look at the 49ers defense, particularly at Levi's stadium, the crowd is going to be out of control. Um, the Niners defense, like we've said, is is the best in, in the last 10 years. Statistically, if they do not live up to that, given that they have all these guys healthy now, um, I would be very surprised. Now, that being said, like things happen, right? Like we the Niners could lose because favorites go down all the time. And, and you know, the Ravens were 10 point favorites or whatever against the Titans last week and wound up losing, despite the fact that the Ravens statistically and, you know, DVOA and whatever other metrics you want to look at were one of the best teams in recent memory in, in terms of just their overall production and how they were beating teams. Yeah. Um, so things can happen. Somebody can get hurt. Jimmy Garoppolo can throw an interception. Um, these games have a weird way of shaking out. But if if things if those things don't happen, and I have no reason to believe, you know, that they will necessarily. But like from what we've seen from the 49ers, they've played really well in their biggest games, and yeah. uh, and this is the biggest game of the year. Everything that they've done leading up to this point has been for this moment. They are healthy. 
Uh, they match up really well with the Packers, which was evident in November. I don't think it's going to look like that game in November. I think it's going to be a lot closer and a lot more competitive. But I could see it being, you know, one, maybe, you know, a one score, 10 point game in the third quarter. And then you start to see the Niners pass rush pin its ears back in the fourth quarter. It really takes control of things. And uh, my prediction is uh, we will be or I will be recording podcasts from Miami and the 49ers will be in the Super Bowl, which is insane to think because I had them going eight and eight uh, when when the schedule came out. Well, and <laughs> and remember before the year we talked about, like, you know, every scenario is on the table for this team. Right. And the scenario where everything has gone right for them. And that's not even the case because they had a lot of things go wrong. Uh, from from an injury standpoint this year, but the the fact that all their depth came through, uh, they've they've had, they've they've just been so much better than I thought they they would be, and I thought they were, you know, like okay, if you told me eleven and five and they make the playoffs, fine, but thirteen and three and rolled through their first playoff game and and in a position to roll through their second one is a is something it hasn't really set in yet and right. i i said this after saturday's game I, I tweeted this out that the niners were so dominant in their playoff game that it felt like like a thursday night game in november mm-hmm. like it just looked like the the 49ers are so damn good that it looked like an nfl playoff team just didn't belong on the same field as them yeah and it's just been a wild turnaround from the last couple of seasons yeah, uh, predicting Nick Bosa to, to play every game, um, you like no one would have thought that given his his you know injury history that Nick Bosa would start every single game. Um, Debo Samuel having one of the best rookie receiver seasons in franchise history, frankly, at least from a statistical standpoint, was not something we could have foreseen. Um, the Emmanuel Sanders trade was not something we were expecting. Um, I think we thought the defense would be a lot better, but like the secondary being as bad as it was last year and the fact that they basically rolled it back with the same dudes and then had the best pass defense in a decade, yeah. which I think I've mentioned now 25 times on this episode, which I still can't really get over. Um, there ju- just a lot of stuff, unexpected stuff happened. And uh, yeah. But I think one thing that you and I both expected was that Kyle Shanahan is a good coach. And that and, Jimmy uh, Ward's good at football. <laughs> Jimmy Ward's good at football, but uh, yeah, they won. They won four games without their starting tackles. <laughs> That's wild. Both of them. Both their in starting a, tackles in a league where in a league where so many teams are just trying to find starting tackles. Right. Um, the Niners, the Niners have, might have like three and a half starting caliber tackles yeah. on their team. That's incredible. And they think Sean Coleman might be one too, and he was lost for the year in the yeah, first preseason geez. game. Um, so anyway, we can talk about Sean Coleman, uh, at another point, but (laughs) here's 40 minutes on Sean Coleman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he actually does have a really good story. Sean Coleman survived cancer when he was like 18. Um, so, uh, also a really nice dude and, uh, it sucked to see him get hurt, but, uh, sounds like he's, he's still in the team's plans. Anyway, um, that's it. That's all we got. That is. That is an hour and 20 minutes far and away our longest pot of the year, but I think it it fits because the biggest game of the year is upcoming on Sunday. 
Niners Packers NFC championship game. It does not get any better than this. If you are a fan of football, uh, particularly if you're a uh, fan of 49ers football. And so uh, enjoy it. Savor the moment because these games don't come around very often. Um, 49ers fans should know that because it's been bad these last few years. And uh, and now they're really good. So enjoy it. NFC championship games are probably the most fun game. If you're going, I think they're the most fun games to go to because it's it's the only like it's the biggest game in the home stadium. Um, Super Bowls just don't have the same type of atmosphere because it's all corporate and split between fan bases. It's just an odd scenario. So if you're going, savor it. Um, Is that going to be a pretty cool thing to be at? Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to be. Um, <laughs> I know. Don't drink too much. Like, you want to remember the game. I, I've been to sporting events and decided to yeah, get really do that after. And, and I regret it because I'm always like, man, I wish I, like, really savored the moment. Um, you know, drink a little bit, like, have the buzz going, but, like, don't, don't, don't be the person who's like, oh, yeah, I had all, I, I, I spent all this money on this ticket. And got hammered and don't remember any of it. But apparently it was an epic game. Like, don't don't be that person. Like, 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 like fan, be responsible. Right. Fan how you want to fan, but also, like, word of advice. Yeah. I'm just saying because these games don't happen very often. Right. And plus, if you if you drink a lot and the 49ers lose, then your night's going to be even worse because you're going to be all emotional about it and uh, and pissed off. Just, like, <laughs> just be find, find, find a good level. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> There was a guy. Hey, hey, real quick, real quick. We got I've we got to get out of here because we yeah. got a podcast we're doing, and and I need to go to bed. But mm-hmm. uh, there was I was at uh, the the Vernon Davis catch against the against the Saints, a divisional round in 2012. Uh, Me too. Uh, against the Saints, and there were these season ticket holders behind us who would always bring a friend, and they'd sit in the seat next to ours that nobody ever sat in because there was a pole there. Is is it candlestick? And there was this pole just right in the middle in front of the seat. So nobody ever sat there. Well, their drunk ass friend came in and just like passed out like halfway through the second quarter and slept through the whole game. Yeah. That like, doesn't sound fun. can you imagine being at a historic NFL moment like that? And you're like, don't remember a thing. I was napping. <laughs> yeah. Wild, wild stuff. Future performing Tony Montana on the dugout at Candlestick Park. Who could forget future performing Tony Montana? And you don't remember it because you were drunk. Don't be that. Unbelievable. Future doesn't remember it either because he (laughs) drank a bunch of cough syrup recreationally. Uh, Molly or Percocet. One of those two. Um, Maybe both. Uh, All right. What kind of water was that? Paddock. (laughs) Can we stop this podcast? Okay. You, you and I are both punch drunk at this point. It is too late. We've been on this pod for too long. Everybody enjoy the game. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week after the game, regardless of how it turns out. And uh, enjoy your weekend. And uh, enjoy the football. It's going to be good football. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.